This past June, when Jordan Chavez graduated from Eisenhower High School in Yakima, Washington, he had a special role to play at the festivities. How are you feeling right now, like with your speech um, and everything? With my speech specifically, a little nervous. I've been nervous like basically this entire day for that speech, but for everything else, you know, it just, it doesn't feel real that we're like right here, like we're already graduating. Like it just, it literally felt like yesterday that I was a freshman going into Eisenhower. Eisenhower High, also known as Ike, is in the Yakima School District. In Yakima, a city of about 100,000 people in South Central Washington State, is where Jordan Chavez grew up. And it's where he developed a strong interest in government and politics. Jordan was the school's student body president in his senior year. And part of the reason he ran was just his ongoing interest in student government. Yeah, um, I was in leadership middle school. I was just like, I want to do this in high school. And so then I just started doing it in high school. But another reason, he says, was his identity. Most of Jordan's family, like a lot of people who live in the Yakima Valley, originally immigrated from Mexico. And he thought it made sense for there to be Latino representation in leadership at his school, where nearly three-quarters of the students identify as Hispanic or Latino. The reason I wanted to become ASB president is just because, like, one, I wanted, like, another Latino to be president. Because before we had uh, Jacob Ortiz, and he was ASB president for two years. And so I was like, let's just keep going with the Latino, <laughs> Latino uh, president. So I, I ran for that position, and and I just wanted to, like, see if I can create some change uh, within, like, even if it was something small. So, like, uh, me and the principal, we made a student senate. Which, he says, got mixed results. But the senate was able to change a few things. Like, for example, what students saw as an unreasonable restriction on bathroom access. We had the bathroom doors taken off because people were, like, smoking in the bathroom, which, like, I could care less about the actual bathroom doors, but they had removed two bathroom doors, and then they had locked every other bathroom. And so there was only one bathroom that we could use, one or two. We were able to talk to them and be like, this is, it's dumb. Like, <laughs> like, can we change it? This is the kind of stuff you have to deal with as a politician. And Jordan is ready to do that kind of work. And not just in high school. He sees a future for himself in politics. I know for 100% fact that, like, I want to do something in politics. It is something, like, I am very, like, passionate about I want to do. Obviously, it's very difficult for people to get, like, off on the right foot if you don't already know people in politics or, like, have some sort of connection to politics. As soon as I'm into politics, like, it just becomes so much easier for people to, like, know you because that's how you really win elections, just being known. And now, after graduating from high school, Jordan is off to college at the University of Washington in Seattle. He says he's actively looking for a way to build a political career, though he does have a backup plan. If I do not catch a break in uh, politics, then I'm just, I was going to major in psychology, 
and then like either minor or um, something in like pre-med. However, like if I do get like some sort of break and like I'm offered like an internship at somewhere um, that like I can be uh, active in politics, I can, I think I'll just switch everything up and then just start focusing toward solely on politics. And again, that aspiration has a lot to do with political representation for the Latino community. Jordan wants to empower and inspire Latino voters as much as possible. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And of course, he's not alone. Latinos are a key voting demographic for both parties. Hispanic and Latino voters are, as you've probably noticed, a huge topic of conversation everywhere in politics right now. And back in the spotlight is the quote-unquote Latino vote. In central Washington and across the country. 32 million eligible Latino voters in November's midterm elections, making them one of the fastest-growing sectors of the American electorate. The campaign organization for Senate Republicans is launching a new initiative targeting Latino voters. This group of voters has seen its influence grow in local and national elections in recent years. Signs that Latino voters are shifting their focus. These voters could be key to understanding where the nation's electorate is headed. The shift is among Latino voters. And now, given that nearly 20% of the country and more than 50% of Yakima County identifies as Hispanic or Latino, that power is only beginning to be realized. You know, the Latino community is very much growing. It's getting bigger and it's going to stay in America. So, like, why not? include them in more politics, because I know that a very large Latino community, like a large percent, does not vote just because they don't think uh, that their vote matters or it's not really as important to them. Going up to uh, voters and like being able to speak uh, the language that they're most comfortable in is really going to get people to like vote for that party. And, um, you know, my identity is a Latino man and like um, I would love to be like, you know, the first, like, Latino president or something like that. Perhaps not surprisingly, Jordan Chavez was among a group of students at Eisenhower High who took an advanced placement government class their senior year. Hey, awesome. You guys look good. Which is actually how CrossCut reporter Mai Huang originally found him. She'd reached out to his teacher as part of some reporting she was doing on the Latino vote back in February. At the start of the year, I was really interested in hearing from Latino voters in the Yakima Valley. I feel like they've been at the center of this narrative of voting rights. There are ongoing legal battles around voting rights and how to better enfranchise this group of voters in the region. We'll get to that a bit later. My editor actually suggested to reach out to a civics teacher in the Yakima Valley and see if through that teacher we could be connected to some young Latino voters. Quite frankly, just as a demographic, it's, it just skews really young. Latino voters are much younger than the overall electorate. 38% fall between the ages of 18 to 34. Only You can't think about the Latino voter base without thinking about young people because they're a huge part of this population. So I had reached out to Robert Price, who is a teacher at Eisenhower High School, and he was the one that actually picked these students. And so they were, for sure, like Jordan, super politically engaged for their age. Robert Price, who's been teaching in the district for decades, says he really stresses the importance of civic participation. You know, trying to educate the students, going home, showing mom and dad how to register, whatever the case may be. For instance, he always offers extra credit to any student who registers to vote. And I also, I give extra credit if they register. I didn't even, like, sign up for voting until... 
I was in the AP Gov class for mm. Mr. Price. Right. He was the one that got us up to voting. And now I'm, I'm registered to vote. So Jordan, who turned 18 in January, is voting for the first time in his life in this year's midterms, which for someone who cares as much about American democracy as he does, is a pretty big deal. So when I think about voting, it really gives me a sort like an empowerment mm-hmm. of being able to actually influence uh, things that are happening right now currently. Mm-hmm. It really makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I have power and I, it feels like my opinion is actually being heard this yeah. time. I'm Sarah Bernard, and this is Crosscut Reports. In this two-part mini-series, we're taking a look at power and opinion through a specific political lens, the fight for the Latino vote. Today, lots of politicians want to capture the attention of folks like Jordan. But that hasn't always been the case. Despite the fact that Latinos make up the majority of the population in Washington's Yakima Valley, they have, historically, faced stiff barriers to political participation and representation. Crosscut reporter Mai Huang has been following the ways that advocates have tried to remove those barriers over the years, including through lawsuit after lawsuit over city, county, and state legislative boundaries. But as the left and right-wing powers that be continue to jockey over electoral maps, the question remains, is this voting block a block at all? In this episode and the next, we'll take a look at how this powerful new swing vote is playing out in Yakima in part through the eyes of one young first-time voter who's dedicated, principled, and, maybe, persuadable. So, ever since Mai met Jordan in that interview with AP government students earlier this year, she and I have both been checking in on him from time to time, Um, basically um, to talk politics. One question I had for you just off the bat. So, because Jordan uh, is 18, he's Latino, he grew up in Washington state, and he's going to college in Seattle, political pundits who follow the data on these things won't be surprised to hear that he leans pretty far to the left. We took a test in the AP, uh, in AP Gov earlier this year, uh, basically all of our opinions and uh, how we felt about certain subjects and topics. And it aligned us with certain parties and certain members of Congress or political people. And uh, I believe my like highest rating one was the Green Party. And then, and then it was Democrat, and then under Democrat was the Socialist Party. Uh, for the people, I don't remember all of them, but I remember the top one either being AOC or Bernie Sanders. It was, it was one of those two. Broadly speaking, Washington is a blue state. Young people tend to vote liberal. And historically, those who identify as Hispanic or Latino in the U.S. do too. In the 2020 presidential election, for example, Hispanic voters went for Joe Biden over Donald Trump by a two-to-one margin. And in the 2020 election, it broke pretty heavily for the Democrats, two-to-one. By the way, although some people prefer the terms Latinx or Latine, we'll only be using Hispanic and Latino in this series because these are the words people we talk to use, often interchangeably. So anyway, Jordan, yeah, he's remarkably politically engaged. And he's certainly progressive. For example, he wants to tax the rich. You got these poor people who are being taxed like 8% of their income, which is a lot for like a poor person to deal with versus like the uber rich who are like getting taxed in less than 1%. He's pro-choice 
and was pretty horrified by the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Obviously, nobody just does an abortion to get an abortion. It's just very disheartening that that has happened, especially uh, after we've gone so far with other things. He believes in gun control. Gun violence, uh, especially now, has become one of my, like, topmost concerns. And yet, despite all that, Jordan is remarkably open to other more conservative strains of thought. And that likely has something to do with where he lives. Yakima is on the east side of the Cascades, and in Washington state, that means it leans conservative. Yakima County tends to vote 60-40 in favor of Republican candidates. Some of the surrounding counties have an even wider split. So, for example, even though Jordan considers himself left-wing, he's got good friends who aren't. Oh, that's interesting. That's, and you guys you guys still like each other. Yeah, I, I go out of my way to, like, watch Fox, watch Ben Shapiro, oh, like, okay. watch right-leaning things okay. to get the view of right-leaning people. Okay. Yeah, I may disagree with them, and right. there's some stuff I do agree with them. I'm being able to, like, see how he interprets the world. Right. And it's eye-opening for me. He's not attached to one party or another. He's not tribal about his political views. And when it comes to voting for the first time, he takes the task very seriously. I'm usually looking at the news and just listening. Uh, That's what's going to help me uh, decide for the primaries is um, I'm not going to have a concrete uh, decision up until like the day before. Uh, because I'm still open to anything, like to anything and everything. I want to know the most because if I choose now, I'm going to have biases towards everything else. If I choose now, then it's like almost like a uh, you're supporting your favorite football team. Like they can do no wrong. <laughs> and with that, let's meet our candidates for this race in the 4th Congressional One District. of the most watched national races coming out of central Washington in 2022 has been the race for a House representative in the 4th Congressional District. Out in Washington's 4th Congressional District, which, which cuts a large swath through the middle of the state. It's been held by a Democrat only three times in its history, most recently a brief stint in the mid-90s by Jay Inslee, who happens to be the governor of Washington state right now. Anyway, the incumbent is Republican Dan Newhouse. As he was preparing to vote in the primary, Jordan was considering casting his vote for Democrat Doug White. But... Jordan, who's in some ways most politically aligned with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, could also see his way to voting for Newhouse. Dan Newhouse, um, he has condemned, like, Donald Trump. Washington Congressman Dan Newhouse was one of 10 Republicans who voted to impeach him. So mine is more geared towards Dan Newhouse um, because he's, uh, because one of our biggest, like, aspects here in Washington is agriculture. Our guest this week is Congressman Dan Newhouse. The Washington Republican stops by to discuss inflation, government funding, and his Farm Workforce Modernization Act. And I haven't read up too much on the Democrat to see what they're actually doing and who they're focusing on. So as of now, it's probably sticking to the same, uh, which is our current is Dan House. An incumbent does hold a lot of sway. But Jordan says there are lots of threads of conservatism in his family and, in his observation, the Latino community that have played a part here. Uh, my family for sure has influenced me. Um, for an average Hispanic household, they're, they're pretty progressive. Uh, at least my my mom is. Uh, my dad is getting up to it. Because um, my, my dad was born in Mexico. My mom is first generation. She was born in California. He was born and raised in Mexico, which 
uh, Mexico's uh, very right leaning. And he wasn't born in like the city part of Mexico. So he's like a bit more right leaning. Um, and so when he went over to America, he, he still had his conservative values. Our culture is very much we listen to the authority and we do what we're told because we're hardworking people. Latino voters are trying to vote more conservative because of our uh, culture. And with the Republicans, they um, are more focused on jobs, on the economy, basically the culture of Hispanics and Latinos. This isn't just Jordan's perception, by the way. It's also an idea that gets underscored a lot in political circles, including those in the Yakima Valley. For instance, Elpidia Saavedra, the mayor of a small town southeast of Yakima called Topanish, is both Republican and Latina. And she says she grew up with this version of the American dream. Work hard, don't take handouts. Work is valued in my community. It's valued for my culture. And so people don't want to be given handouts. We want to be given the opportunity to work. We don't want that impinged. We don't want to be given more welfare. Okay? We want to be given more opportunity to work and to advance. We want to our children... A political shift is rocking the two major political parties. Hillary Clinton won the Hispanic vote by 38, Joe Biden by just 21. Jordan also weighed in on the stat that's been troubling Democrats since the last election, that Latino voters as a whole swung toward Donald Trump by eight percentage points between 2016 and 2020. Republican values is like, uh, you know, God, family, economy. And, you know, it's like all something that a Latino voter would be interested in, you know, um, they're all very religious, like I'm Catholic, my family's Catholic, the rest of my families around our family are Catholic. And then like, you know, with family, like that's like the most important thing. And so like what comes after family is like the economy, like, you know, that's gonna directly affect how our family, how we make money, how we can help spend that money for our family. Um, and so, you know, as, as Trump said, he was a businessman. So somebody that was expected to better the economy, like he knew business, he was expected to better it. Um, so it would, I think it would catch a lot of voters. Um, What's more, Jordan says, it feels to him like the Democratic Party basically just takes the Latino vote for granted. At least in his experience in central Washington, it's the representatives from the Republican Party who will come to his family's door to chat, often in Spanish. The Republican Party will go out of their way to actually speak to Latinos okay. and like, get them in and talking about politics when the Democrats just assume oh, that Latinos are going to vote yeah, for them okay. because they're the minority. That's really Democrats are the minority group, so if you're a minority, you're going to vote for me. So why would I advertise to you guys if I know you're going to vote for me? And does that does that frustrate you as a Latino? Yeah, it does. Like that, that you're taken for granted as a voter? Yeah, 100%. Having a person that represents the Republican Party go into your house, sitting you down, meeting you nicely, uh -huh. and actually being able to speak in your own language, making you more comfortable and making people more inclined to vote for that party. There is plenty of data to support the idea that the parts of Yakima with majority Hispanic populations tend to elect Democratic candidates. In 2020, for example, the mostly Latino east side of Yakima went decidedly for President Biden. And there have been, in recent years especially, Latino candidates running for and winning local seats who identify with the Democratic Party. Still, there are real questions around whether those political leanings will always hold. Mayor Saavedra, for one, doesn't think so. The majority of Latinos still consider themselves conservative. They do. They may not have been voting for it because they didn't 
realize, right? What I, I truly believe Latinos are waking up to is they're saying they've crossed the line. The far left has crossed the line. The, 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 these far, these liberals have crossed the line because now rather than respecting my faith, respecting my values, they've crossed the line and they're attacking that. In the Yakima Valley and across the country, there are a growing number of Latinos who side with the GOP, or at least lean conservative. And new data shows more Hispanic voters are supporting Republicans. We were already with conservative values. It just nobody noticed. They took us for granted. Several national polls of Latino voters in 2021 and 22 showed a fairly even split between the two parties. Hispanic voters were evenly divided when asked who they would vote for if former President Trump went up against President Biden in the 2024 election. And I looked at my mom and I told her, we're in the wrong party. We're Republican because everything just checked off with the way I was raised. Especially when voters are asked about their views on the economy or on crime and policing. Republicans, though, have the advantage on the economy, uh, on crime, and on the situation at the border. There's so many misconceptions, stereotypes, and all other things about how one segment of your community thinks. And in talking to my community, especially the Latino community, I realized that there was a lot of, I ran as a Democrat, uh, that there were a lot of Latinos who were Republican. Gabriel Munoz is a Yakima resident and was a candidate for Washington State Senate in the 15th Legislative District back in 2014. Mai and I met up with him at a Starbucks in Yakima in late July. When, by the way, it was about 108 degrees outside. Wow, it is. It's, it's crazy. Out the crazy thing is it could be worse. It's a wild thing, right? <laughs> anyway. Gabriel's campaign meant a lot at the time. Though he didn't win, he gathered a lot of support from Latino voters in Yakima County. And yeah, although he ran as a Democrat on a platform that he felt responded to his community's needs, he says a lot of people felt differently. You start assuming that all Latinos want immigration reform. And, and a lot of them do want immigration reform, but they want it done differently. Yes, it's the Latino vote, right? But the Latino vote is, is, is a diverse segment that has diverse opinions. And um, some people believe that you should speak English all the time. And some people believe that you should speak whatever language you want. You're in America, right? Some people believed, I remember this, this lady who was pro-life. And I really understood why she was pro-life. And, and, and it made sense for her, and it made sense for me listening to why it made sense to her. And I really honor that person for being open with me and, and really talking to me from a vulnerable uh, perspective. And maybe they're not gonna vote for me, uh, but that's okay. I have a friend. I made a friend with that person. It's been a few years since his campaign, too, so that's another reason there aren't hard feelings here. But yeah, 
Gabriel says that overall, he's excited to have more Latino voters voting, period. And I just heard those numbers that the Latino voter, uh, the Latino support for for Trump increased as well. (laughs) Uh, You know, you could say that's a sad thing. You could say that that's a terrible thing for our our country. But I look at it from a positive perspective. I think that's a positive thing. Um, that you have more Latinos engage in our political system. I would love for them not to support some of those representatives that go against uh, some of the things that Latinos have worked for all their lives. Uh, but, I, but I'm okay with So, of course, it's obvious that the Latino vote is not a monolith. The biggest takeaway of all from our poll is just how diverse the Latino electorate is. All people vote in different ways for different reasons, even those who have a shared heritage. We are not to be assumed that because we're Hispanic, we're naturally going to vote Democratic. And yet, the fact that the community does share some values remains really important to a lot of people who care about political power in the Yakima Valley. More and more Latinos are talking, more and more Hispanics are talking, more and more Mexicanos are talking, more and more people of faith are talking, and they're talking about the issues that affect them and their families and their communities. And we'll be following up on that in later episodes, so stay tuned. But for now, as people like Jordan Chavez and his family fill out their ballots this year, what they choose is going to matter to a lot of people in more ways than one. More on that after the break. Public safety, reproductive rights, the arts, education, election security. These are the issues at the heart of our civic life. And they're just a few of the topics up for discussion at Civic Cocktail, the monthly event series produced by Seattle City Club and Crosscut and broadcast on KCTS 9. For more than a decade, Civic Cocktail has been connecting community leaders from Seattle and the state of Washington to the public through lively conversations about the most important issues facing the region. And you can be a part of that conversation. Join host Monica Guzman as she sits down with the people who help shape our civic life and asks the questions that help build a greater understanding of this place we all call home. To see what we're talking about next and to RSVP to the taping of the next episode, go to crosscut.com events. So after Mai and I met up with Gabriel Munoz in that Yakima Starbucks, we asked Jordan to come in too. This was right before the primary election. And Jordan still hadn't decided who he was going to vote for in the District 4 race, the one that would ultimately decide who represents him in Congress. It's important to note here that Washington state has a top two primary system, which means that the two candidates with the most votes move on to the general regardless of their party. 
Most of the candidates running against Republican Dan Newhouse at the time were pretty far to the right of the incumbent. And in central Washington's 4th District, Representative Dan Newhouse is also facing a candidate endorsed by Mr. Trump. Regardless, Jordan made sure to learn everything he could. I've knocked it down to the two I was already going to vote between. Uh, I, I did do research on basically all the other ones, and all the other ones were just, you know, nothing that I could... Uh, vote for. And it started to feel like a real toss-up between Newhouse and the sole Democrat on the ticket, Doug White. The truth is, Newhouse continued to seem compelling to Jordan. As an incumbent, he has a track record, and he has a very thorough website. It was just easier to gather information about him. His like website has all the ideas and like all his stances, uh, which made it really easy for Dan Newhouse. Um, unlike the other contestants, they didn't really theirs wasn't as in-depth, um, especially Doug White's. Um, his was very uh, short, and I tried finding as much as possible because I was interested in him, um, but I cannot, not nearly as much as Dan Newhouse. And there are a lot of things Newhouse has done and stands for that Jordan can get behind. His stances on um, power and energy, his stances on helping um, local communities, uh, stances on farming, you know, like 40% of our revenue here in Washington is farming. So it's like, it should be one of the biggest things uh, for, especially District 4, because it's so prevalent here. His like track record, he has a little like record of like all the stuff he's done so far, which has been pretty good. Um, so like, I was very much considering Dan Newhouse, but um, you know, and he's also like, I wouldn't say he's far right. Even Doug White, I was reading a bit of his, his was still, you know, he's left-leaning, but he's still, I would say he's very moderate. He's very in the middle. I'm Doug White. I am the Democrat in the race. I'm a fourth-generation farming family, born and raised in Yakima, Washington. Like Jordan was saying earlier, his family has influenced him a lot when it comes to his political views. Not his dad, maybe, but for sure his mom, who grew up in California. She's fairly progressive. And her dad, Jordan's grandfather, seems to lean that way too, though his views are nuanced. Anyway, without his grandfather, Jordan says, he might not even be all that interested in politics. The person that actually got me into politics was my, my grandpa. Oh, um, cool. He would like, he doesn't watch anything but the news. He watches old cowboy movies at the, the news. <laughs> so anytime I would be with him, uh, we would just like he would sit us down and we would start watching the news. So I would I would watch and he would just flip from channel to channel to channel, like on the news, like CNN, Fox News, just like all the different channels to like just watch. Um, and so that's what like started getting me engaged. About a month or so after we met up with him in Yakima, Jordan did us a big favor. He pulled out his phone and interviewed his mom and grandpa about all this stuff. These are the people he talks politics with the most. All right, today's September 11th. I'm here with my mom, Janae Mendez, and I'm here with my grandpa, Jesse Castaneda. Jordan's dad wasn't around, so those conservative views Jordan described weren't much on display. But his mom and grandpa weren't exactly celebrating the Democrats either. In fact, listening back to the audio file he sent, one theme really rose to the surface. When it comes to national politics, at least... Neither of them were very impressed with either political party. Uh, do you guys feel like your political representatives do a good job of representing you and uh, your community right now? No, I, I don't think so. I, I think that the, uh, especially the Democrats, I think they have failed to take advantage of uh, 
being in power and, and the fact that people trust them. And, uh, but but as for, unfortunately, they have failed to deliver on some of the promises they made. It, it seems like uh, the only time that they talk to my notaries is when, when it's uh, election time. And so uh, Joe Biden promised that within the first 100 days that he was going to have a bill regarding immigration. And here we are in the middle of his term and he has not done hardly anything. So, yeah, a little disappointed. Are people in your community, friends, colleagues, families, pretty engaged and active politically or not really? Why slash why not do you think? No, I don't think they are uh, engaged politically. And I think part of that is because of the disappointment and uh, and all the things that, that we have going on between Democrats and Republicans. I mean, what we have right now is, uh, is a system in which nobody's working towards any goals. Uh, they seem to be creating their own camps. They seem to be creating their own groups. And I think that's uh, trickling down to the communities and people feel uh, left outside. They feel sidelined and, and actually they feel that uh, uh, nothing matters anymore because uh, nobody's working together to achieve things for the benefit of the people. To some degree, it almost feels like it's childish, like the parties, one will think of something and um, instead of working together, it's just simply because the Republicans thought of this, I'm not gonna agree, or the Democrats are working on this, you know, we're not gonna agree. And so there is um, a mentality of why bother? You know, why be invested in voting or maybe why be investing and following this when we kind of all know the end result. So, yeah, it seems like the whole lesser of two evils type of choice is not a very compelling one. And I also feel that uh, the reason that Joe Biden was elected was because people were choosing uh, the best of two evils or the better of two evils. Uh, I'm not a fan of Joe Biden. I think that he has done... He has not done a good job so far, as, as we stated before. Uh, but I, I, also, I also feel grateful that he was elected, just because in doing so, we were able to get rid of uh, Donald Trump. No one around this table seems to be a huge fan of Washington Governor Jay Inslee either. You'll remember Inslee actually represented the 4th District back in the 90s. Oh, our governor is, you know, what is my opinion of him? You know, I I have mixed feelings about his performance. I, I think that he, uh, you know, first of all, he is being uh, affected and he is controlled by the people on the uh, on the west side of the mountains. And so, and that's unfortunate because I think that the rural areas and, and this side of the mountains, sometimes people don't feel represented by him. And I don't think he has he has done enough to uh, to at least show people that that he sees both sides as equal. And as for Republican Dan Newhouse, 
Mr. Castaneda says he's done a pretty good job. As far as uh, Newhouse, I, I, you know, he's a, a Republican and, and definitely he has some conservative views. Uh, in, in some cases, uh, I'm not going to call extreme views because he's not. I think he is more of a middle-of-the-road type of a politician. Uh, I enjoy his views on agriculture. I think that he has done a great job advancing agriculture within Washington state. Uh, I just wish we had more politicians like him. He has been able to work on both sides of the aisle. Um, so, yeah, I, I respect him because he has been able to do that. So no one family could tell an entire political story, and we don't expect them to. But the kind of nuance you see in Jordan's family does speak to a larger issue at play in the Yakima Valley and across the country. 15 percent. That's the dismal voter turnout in the Latino community. There's this fierce horse race between the two parties, both vying for support from this group of voters who might feel disappointed by both. Things are really bad. And fed up. And, quite frankly, disinclined to even participate. Voter turnout is key to any race. What's that like among Latinos in Washington state? Super low. Lower for Latinos here than in other states like California or Texas. And if you look at the 4th District August primary, around 35 percentage points lower than white voters. That isn't Jordan, though, of course. Jordan is determined to vote. The day after Maya and I met up with Jordan at that Starbucks, we toured the Yakima County Elections Office and spoke with Martha Jimenez, the office's bilingual program coordinator, whose job is to encourage every eligible voter to vote in Spanish or English. Yes, civic engagement. So we do try and increase voter turnout and making sure that we provide everything, um, both languages. In fact, having a bilingual Spanish-English coordinator to do this work at all is something that grew out of a lawsuit against the county, settled back in 2004, requiring Spanish translations of election materials. In 2002, there was a lawsuit that took place, and so I believe in 2006 is when we started having a staff member, a bilingual staff member here that provided that information. Like I said, we'll go deeper on that eventually. Anyway, at the end of our time with Martha, we got a text from Crosscut staff photographer Amanda Snyder, who was snapping photos of Jordan as he prepared to vote for the first time. Jordan had lost his mail-in ballot envelope. Okay. My swung into action. We have a question. So we've been following this uh, young voter as part of the series. And okay. so he apparently filled out his primary ballot, but he can't find the envelope. So he wanted to know if you can get a new envelope. I want to note here that we had no idea how Jordan was going to vote. We just knew that he would be crushed if he couldn't. And we just happened to be right there talking to a person who could help him. So what we do in this case, a return envelope, we go ahead and suspend the entire ballot and we mail them out a ballot packet. Okay. So you have to get a new ballot, basically. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Just because we can't just get a new, we can't just print and mail them another envelope. Are they, would it come into the office? Uh, yeah, they were planning to drop it off over here, so. Okay, so if they come in, we can go ahead and issue them a new ballot, so a different barcode, but they can still, again, return that. But anyway, in the end, Jordan was able to vote for the first time ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait, had you voted before? No. Okay. Yeah. 
How's it feel? Okay. Yeah, it felt good. <laughs> So as you can tell, we did spend a lot of time talking with Jordan about voting, about his political views, his decision-making process. I've basically been asking Jordan for months if he's ready to vote yet and which direction he's leaning, especially when it comes to District 4. But we never did ask him who he actually voted for. We'll get to that. And we'll take a look at the way the political winds are blowing once we see the results of this year's midterms in Yakima and beyond. See you after the election. That's next time on Crosscut Reports. Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode was reported by Mai Huang and produced by me, Sarah Bernard. Our story editor and executive producer is Mark Baumgarten. Also, a big thanks to Amanda Snyder, Crosscut's staff photographer, who documented a couple of Jordan's bigger moments to help bring this story to life. To see those images, as well as a report from Mai, follow the link in the show notes. Or you can go to crosscut.com podcasts and click on Crosscut Reports. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. This is a new show for us, and we want to know what you think. Also, if you'd like to support the work we do at CrossCut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the live events we host every month, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. CrossCut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode.